podcasting from the world's most livable city, Melbourne. This is the Your Career Down Under Show, a podcast dedicated to help newly arrived skilled migrants and settled migrants with their career and employment issues. We interview recruiters, career coaches, HR experts and employers who share tips, techniques and insights to help you land a job quickly and rapidly advance your career. Hello everyone, this is Naishad Gadani coming to you from Melbourne um, and today is 20th of July, Monday and as we promised on the weekend, we are back. We are not stopping this you know, career care package journey uh, so far. We will continue uh, to, to deliver the message of hope and optimism to your daily life and you know, especially on your LinkedIn screen uh, and as we hear more and more cases you know uh, of COVID-19 in Victoria uh, you know our heart goes out as we have said even previously to the people who are really at the very front line and fighting this you know dreadful disease uh, and yes there are restrictions and you know there will be more restrictions from Wednesday where we will have to wear masks where we will not wear the mask on the LinkedIn live at least but when you step out of the home please wear mask because you are still doing a great public service by wearing a mask. But today, it's not about wearing the mask or anything else. Today, we are going to take a deep dive into startup and really understanding, you know, why people are so attracted to solve problems, why people are attracted to start up something on their own. So rather than me and Caroline talking about our journey, which is pretty boring, we thought we would go out to to talk to two smart, clever young people, uh, you know, who, which I believe that, uh, you know, have got more ideas than me. Uh, I don't know about KB. Uh, so we thought we'll probably ask them the, you know, tough questions to, and see if that leaves any inspiration on uh, any one of you to kickstart your own startup as well. So before I introduced Ali and Akil, uh, let's welcome Caroline Brown. Thanks, Nish. I went out on the weekend for a walk and decided to wear my mask and felt very weird, I've got to say. Um, but there was probably about 30 or 40% of people actually wearing them before it's compulsory, which I think is a, a good good sign. I just wanted to get used to it and not feel so strange. And I'm sure it won't be strange after a few days um, as well. Thanks for joining us, Akil and Ali. I was really keen to talk to you guys. Nish and I always talk about you know, the need to be entrepreneurial, even if you're not an entrepreneur. Um, because if there's a sense of, I think people associate security with a, a job, but um, I think we have one of our speakers on that said the least, the riskiest thing you can have at the moment is a job, or have it, have it at the moment and into the future. So that was one of the reasons that um, when Nash mentioned you guys, it was really keen to have you on board, because I think it's a message that everybody um, needs to hear and, and even if you're not going to start a business or your own thing that approach um, will really help people so Nash do you want me to kick off the grilling or um, do you want to do it okay that's a thumbs up so I reckon first place to start would be maybe with you Akil to tell people about 
um, what you actually do with Futures Collective and, and how you got to that point. And then Ali, I'll get you to share your story after that as well. Yeah, um, thanks, thanks, Carolyn. And um, yeah, so I'm the founder of Futures Collective and basically what I do is um, create learning experiences to help young people build human skills. Um, and you know, these are the skills like emotional intelligence and courage and adaptability that um, are so essential to navigate not just work but life as well. Um, but it's also the skills that are so fundamental that they're kind of pushed aside through our formal learning. Um, you know, we assume that we're going to build these things through life and through experience. Um, but it's also something you can consciously develop and that's what I'm trying to do with young people. Um, and for me it started off, so you know, I'm only three years out of high school myself, but I had some really powerful learning experiences early on. Um, when I was in year 10, uh, so I was about 15 then, um, coming from a migrant background, had very traditional ideas of success, you know, getting a, um, a good degree, studying hard qualifications and working your way up through the ranks. Uh, as I'm sure, you know, any sort of migrant parents or children as well would be able to relate to. Um, but I never struggled through school either. So it was very much um, an unchallenging experience for me until I got into a program called It's Your Move. Now this is run by a company in Melbourne um, who basically challenged us to solve health problems in our school. Um, so over the course of one school day, I went from not knowing what entrepreneurship was um, to co-creating um, a school brand that belonged to the students and was part of the school uniform to create sun-safe products for each other. So for me, that was a really empowering experience because I felt like, well, now I'm creating an impact beyond myself. Um, and I didn't feel like I could do that at a young age. So since then, you know, I've just been seeking out different experiences to fuel that curiosity about how I can continue to, to serve and be of, uh, be of impact. And it's taken me down this path where I've realized, you know, I, I want to empower young people and pay those experiences forward um, mm. and I've identified human skills as being a very central thing that's been useful for me and I think is really relevant and important for anyone else growing up today. Yeah absolutely and uh, kudos I mean I can't remember what I was doing in high school such a long time ago but I can <laughs> remember that you know kids empathy emotional intelligence we never spoke about that stuff and it, it is something that you know all through your life you can can apply as well so yeah where did you come upon that in particular what was what was the um you know the idea to focus on just just sort of that aspect yeah um it's it's interesting because there never really was you know that sort of light bulb moment yeah. it's been about four years now since i've really wanted to do something myself so the first idea straight out of that it's your move program was i want to create an incubator for high school students an accelerator program, you know, where they can build businesses. Uh, but I started to realize just through conversations and through volunteering and, and dipping my toes in different things that mm. my motivations and the reasoning behind what I wanted to do ran deeper than just helping young people start a business. It was more mm. about, you know, having those foundations to navigate life with confidence, mm. whether that's be running your own business or, you know, working a job, volunteering somewhere. Um, it's about having those foundations to do that. So, yeah, there really wasn't a single moment. Carolyn, mm. I think it was probably um, a culmination of experiences and conversations that have ultimately shaped me down this path, yeah. Fantastic. 
What about you, Ali? Tell us about what you're working on and how you came to, to do it. Thank you. So I'm currently the um, director and a co-founder of a company called Bridging Us. So Bridging Us is a co-design consultancy. Our aim is to connect young people with decision makers effectively. Um, this can mean working with local city councils as we are at the moment to really make working with young people a part of the new business as normal, whether that's for government, whether that's organizations, whether that's private businesses. And that really stems from both lived experience and a long time working in this space with my co-director uh, and co-designer um, Imana uh, in this space really seeing how there is still not a status quo or an understanding that working with young people um, as legitimate stakeholders is really not something which is normalized and I think really is the detriment both of young people but also the decision makers as well. And how did you get to that? I mean like that sounds pretty specific and, and also <laughs> I guess you know, you have to know what doesn't work before you know what, mm. what works. So how did you come up on that? Um, mm. I think it was a real uh, slow burner, to be honest. So I think similar to Akio, I come from a migrant background. My parents are, are migrants from Lebanon. And growing up, you know, it was very much work hard, but also look after yourself. So I was always a very much a bookworm, a nerd, you know, just studying away, focusing on my studies, but also yeah. learning to become independent, having lots of part-time jobs. I spent probably you know, over six years in retail hospitality. And, you know, keeping with this idea that as a young person, you know, if you just work hard, you will be successful. And I think this is the understanding that I got from my family because that's, you know, that's what works for them. You know, they put their head down, they worked hard, they studied hard and they got successful and they got through what they went through. Mm. However, the more I kept applying that through high school, university, I kept doing that and hoping things would get better in terms of I would have a great understanding of where I was going, a more clear role and be able to have a social impact because I think those are the values that my parents and my family bestowed me being very socially conscious. But the more that I worked, the more that I studied, the more I got involved in the social impact space, you know, volunteered with a number of nonprofits and work, I kept realizing that this wasn't going to actually have the impact that I wanted to because that norm of working hard translating to actually making a difference really was no longer applicable. And unfortunately, what I kept realizing at different stages was that really at every stage, young people are not really given credit or are not really seen as legitimate stakeholders, you know, whether that was a university being a a uni student and just trying to go against the norm in my classes or and likewise my peers you're very much penalized in many cases for going against the orthodoxy likewise when i was um, working in the social impact space you know talking to members of parliament talking to ceos still getting this impression that you know i'm a highly educated young person like my peers we've worked for so long in this space we're experts in our particular fields and yet we're still not being taken seriously purely because we're young people and that was really cemented after uni where again so much experience did everything the young person was supposed to do work experience volunteer went overseas had international experience spoke multiple languages and yet myself my my uh, my co-founder imana and our peers couldn't find work after university and we kind of it was um at that moment it finally kind of cracked it's like you know what stuff it we're going to just make we're going to make our own business because um it finally reached that breaking point and realized that the problem was that that status quo, young people at every level are not seen as legitimate, are not seen as having, um, don't have power, don't have decision-making power. But mm. I guess what really helped us stand out, what was clear for us was that we didn't want this to be 
something that was furthering the polarization between young people and decision makers. We weren't, we didn't want to go in that space and say, you know what, that's all the adults who are at fault here. Yeah, no, because we had worked so many organizations and government departments, we knew that how critical it was to work with decision makers. And so what we saw as being, what we wanted to stand out and be critical is that we wanted to be that, you know, the mediators, people that brought people together. So in this case, bringing young people and decision makers together to work together on those issues, to bring the innovation, the creativity of young people who are you know, usually dealing with these issues on the ground with the expertise of decision makers. And hence, you know, and I know pun intended why we came up with the name Bridging Us, because we didn't want to be a polarizing force. We wanted to be a mediating force to bring the skills and lived experience of both young people and decision makers. Yeah. I love both the names. Nashal attested this. I've got to think about names. I love, I love the names of your your businesses. But, uh, yeah, Nashal I thought. So. I thought. Yeah, I. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I got them, KB, because of your <laughs> your love yeah, uh, for the name. So, <laughs> yeah, no, it was still the names. Still the names. <laughs> Because I, I think Akhil and Ali, when I listen to you and I envy your clarity, I think the only clarity that I had when I was 19 or 20, that I will be 21 and 22 one day, I did not have any clarity or probably I still don't have a lot of clarity about the work, uh, you know, that I do or I intend to do. You know, it's uh, I think it's an ongoing process. It sometimes gets clear and sometimes gets foggy and then I have to clean that. So, you know, because one of the things that I you know want to ask you is around the fear or the or considering what if it doesn't work out. So, uh, you know, can you, if you can start with you, did did that come across any time, uh, you know, when you were building this that, you know, what if this fails? You know, what if I'm not able to achieve what I I have in my head? And if there was one, how did you deal with that? Yeah, um, I think definitely um, those thoughts are natural for anyone. And that's one way of dealing with it is normalizing, right? I think, you know, meeting people like Ali and, and others going on a similar journey, like I'd say it's so important to have a community uh, around you or a support network as well, because you really do need to lean on shoulders. Um, you, you can't do it alone, right? So even if that is just having a conversation, talking about your frustrations and and what's going on. Um, that's something that really helped me get through it. Uh, but yeah, I also have to acknowledge my privilege in this, right? So still being quite young, I've, you know, I haven't, um, and going to university locally, I didn't need to move out of home. Um, so I haven't had those financial burdens of, you know, paying for rent and providing for yourself at the moment. I'm still, um, still at home with my parents, which is really lucky uh, while I study and, and work as well. So I have to acknowledge my privilege in that way. I wasn't really forced to um, fear the fears that I might have been facing because, you know, if I failed, if it didn't work out, um, it wasn't like I was giving giving a lot up, compromising a lot to to be in this situation. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's also that, you know, again, I'll pull on my migrant experience here. Um, taking a non-traditional approach is something that, uh, is daunting to do because you know within the communities it's not something that's expected uh, right like especially as someone who did really well in school it's like you get a high enough ASAR why don't you just go out and, and be a doctor um, and take the safe yeah. route <laughs> and do that and it's like especially especially if you do well enough to be able to do that they're like well you've got it there you you, you know you've got the dream um, so the fear was more than anything about 
showing because I back I, I felt like I backed myself. Um, but then if I ended up being wrong in that, you know, if if it didn't work out, and then well, was I, you know, I had quite a lot of belief in what I wanted to create and the impact I wanted to do. Was that misplaced? Um, and just again, it comes back to having a good support network and people around you um, who've been there, done that. You know, maybe a couple of steps ahead of where you are. Um, and just to finish up on this, you know, it might seem like it's a hard thing to do is to build that network around you. Uh, but one piece of advice I received that was really pivotal for me was to never put anyone else on a pedestal. Um, and what this is a former teacher of mine meant by that is, you know, just because someone's more successful or ahead of where you are, don't be afraid um, to reach out. Don't be afraid to ask for 30 minutes of their time um, and, and be genuine in doing so. So, yeah, that's something that's really helped me is not putting anyone else on a pedestal. And the same way I don't put myself on a pedestal um, when, when someone else comes and approaches because I, I know how helpful others have been on my journey so far, which is still just starting. Um, that's um, advice I think people can really hear now because um, I know a lot of people do struggle to reach out to people. Um, for help and that I think that idea of nation I've talked about a lot that idea of sort of mentorship in your career to take you to the next step just informally is, is really really important right now so um, yeah Ali what, what's your perspective what, what sort of kept you going and um, you know when when others around you aren't doing what you're doing because that you know we are shaped really a lot by our peers and it still is an unusual thing to be doing what you're doing Mm. 100% and I, I couldn't help myself but laugh when Akia was mentioning the expectations <laughs> of migrant parents to be doctors or lawyers or physiotherapists. And yeah. <laughs> I, I believe, um, yeah, I, I think it is it is a really big disincentive both as in terms of our culture upbringing, you know, and the, you know, the idea of, you know, especially if you've done really well at your school and uni and you're like, oh, you should automatically get a good job or you should aspire to so much and even those preset ideas of what success is, you know, um, and often being an entrepreneur is seen as a, it's like, oh, really? Like, you know, you've done so well at uni, you're just going to go make a business, where's the security? And again, that reflects, I think, that the different, um, how values around work has really changed, you know, particularly for our parents, like stability was critical, particularly for those who, you know, were had to migrate, had to leave war, had to leave, you know, very bad circumstances, stability was critical. I think something that really resonates with me particularly nice to a saying around you know what what when do you feel scared or were you always you know what moments do you feel fear and I, I think for me that i've been scared since the beginning of this journey um since the start of the year because uh just completely doing something new going into entrepreneurship not something i had done before and i think um really to echo i, I echo what Aki was saying community the sense of having those mentors, having those peers who could support you. And um, I'm going to give Akil a shout out. He's been um, a massive advocate and, and a friend of ours since the beginning, um, because going into this as new, we've never been in the entrepreneurial space. Uh, we really did have that sense of imposter syndrome. Like, what the hell are we doing here amongst all these people who've been doing this entrepreneurship for a long time? And all we came into an accelerator program with an idea, we're like, this is not going to work out. I think definitely the sense of peers who will have your back and really help you believe in yourself. And I think something that's been really critical for me as well is I think learning to kind of sacrifice or let go of the ego. And what I mean by that is senses 
recognizing that to really fight for a cause that you believe in, you really have to give up any sense that you're doing this for yourself. And, you know, last you know, few months, I've really been feeling that imposter syndrome and I've gone to feel like a kill or my, my partner, Iman, and say, you know what, I'm feeling an imposter. I feel like I'm, these are just going to fail and um, it's going to be on my fault that I haven't done enough. And I think something that uh, my partner and co-founder, Iman, said, she's like, well, yeah, it's like, it may fail and that's, and that's okay. And I think by hearing that, it reminded me that no, this cause and this cause of trying to bring young people and decision makers together and normalizing that, that's greater than any one person and especially me and that even you know, success or failure, um, that will not affect my ability to keep fighting for that. You know, Whether this is successful, I can keep doing that and whether it fails, I can still keep doing that. And really it's just letting go of that ego and to remind myself that it, again, those fears of success or failure, those are very egotistical fears and they're very normal fears, but really they're a fear of like, what's gonna happen to me? What's gonna happen to my reputation? And really then they don't have a role in trying to achieve that greater goal of vision and in this case trying to really help young people like myself mm. it's interesting because i think both of you have sort of referred to it but that idea about being of service like serving something bigger why is that important to you guys um i might i might jump in here uh first Please. i think i think it's it's important um on a number of different levels one is because you know, I've had the privilege and felt lucky to have people who've been of service to me. Um, mm. You know, whether that be teachers who've shown us some belief in you, particularly as um, I, I remember this first, my first experiences in the first year since when I moved to Australia. So I was nine years old, I was in grade four, um, and I actually struggled in school. I grew up in Abu Dhabi and it was just quite a stressful environment because it's a lot of rote learning um, and that's not an environment I really thrived under. So I came here um, and we had a maths exam. And so we got it all done and the teacher, you know, actually sort of pulled me to a side and before releasing the results of the whole class had mentioned that, you know, I'd, I'd topped the class in, in the maths exam. And um, it's just, you know, sort of those, those little things where you've got people who back you um, mm. and who show a little bit in you to move forward. Um, and that's something that, you know, I felt really was pivotal in then setting up those next few steps I'd take um, to get where I am, that mm. it's something that I want to pay forward because, mm. you know, I think about the lost potential of someone who can move along a similar journey um, in their own way, of course, with their individuality. Mm. Um, but misses out on it because they just haven't had those catalyst moments that I did. Um, and that's something that I want to pay forward. So mm. to me, it's it's about um, it's it's about creating impact on a large scale, of course, but it's those individual moments of impact you can have as well because you know, r running workshops with young people in school, like I know I'm not gonna have every single person I talk to their life's going to change. Um, mm. But there might be three people in the classroom who are really, really heavily impacted by what you do. And mm. it's those stories, those moments of impact that are really that are really essential to me and important. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. What about you, Ali? Mm. I think a few things come to my mind. I think one is definitely upbringing, and I think particularly that 
because I have my, both my parents, but also my two siblings who are 15 and 16 years older than me. So it felt like having four parents in the house, <laughs> but, but also by having that, I got a great sense of seeing, well, one, just kind of their generosity and just being able to see that, you know, people, people who are willing to sacrifice even when things were hard for themselves, you know, um, you know, parents working long hours overnight, you know, my dad's a teacher, my mom used to work in the post office, so my dad would work all day as a teacher and you know, people like, why don't you become a teacher? I looked at my dad and, you know, you really have to love teaching. You're going to work from <laughs> nine till nine every day sometimes. And, um, but he loved it. So props to him and he's still doing it. And my mother who would work, um, you know, night shifts and, and yet would still be willing to help our family, help our strangers, help our neighbors. Um, and as well as seeing my brother and sister, who were very much mentors to me and, um, you know, encouraged me to really believe in myself, especially when I couldn't. And, you know, I remember going through primary school and I was, um, you know, going through bully. I was I was a bit of a bigger kid and I was bullied in primary school for that. Uh, but I recall my brother and sister, my parents never really stopping believing in myself. And I think it was that was coming to the second point it was really seeing that why acts of service, you know, is so critical for me, um, really became cemented because because of the guidance I had from my parents and my older brother and sister. Later in life, I kept feeling the sense of gravity that friends and colleagues and peers kept coming to me for advice or for reassurance. But I think what it ended up being is that they were coming for people just really just to believe in them. And I think that's really the hardest thing. Like people kind of often seeking advice because they didn't really, um, had never been taught, didn't have the ability or things had been harder than they just feel like they'd lost their belief in themselves. And um, really, I felt like that's that what service to others can really be is that it's really giving others that sense of hope and that validation that, you know, what you're going through is valid and, you know, you are worthy and you do have something to contribute. And I think that you really only appreciate that if you've been in the same situation where you just feel that sense of despair that you don't have anything to offer. And I think that service to others is more broadly than, you know, obviously trying to achieve a, a, you know, a vision for a better society is that you can't do that when you have people or friends or peers or neighbors really have this sense of I don't belong here or I have nothing to contribute what's the point and I think really for me that's what the heart of service to others is is instilling a sense of self-belief in others and really reminding others that they can believe in themselves and that they are they, you know, they are worthy and they have value to contribute fantastic uh Kibi, do you want to take the question from Amit uh, uh sure uh let me just find this few questions I think Amit's been um, I'm making quite a few comments. Hi, Amit. Good to see you again here. Um, Akil and Ali, you're both fantastic, too. <laughs> um, I'm focused on working on the emotional side of people. I keep working within my team and projects. I want to learn more and work with people. Uh, if someone wants to move out and assist more people, what should I do? Whom should one connect? How should we approach groups where I can volunteer? I guess it's a question around what would be a good first step if you wanted to do something like what you guys are doing. Mm. Mm. Um, I think this is something that resonates with me because, um, you know, since that, that high school experience, it's something I've been doing a lot of is, is reaching out and, and trying to seek out opportunities. And it comes back to my point around not putting anyone else on a pedestal. So if it's an individual um, you you admire, I guess, sorry, take a step back. And the first step I'd say would be to identify individuals and organizations that you really resonate with, right? Mm -hmm. So it's finding those organizations, those people who are 
you you feel are aligned with your values, who are creating an impact in a way that gets you excited, um, gets you excited to support and be of service to. Um, and then it's just reaching out. It's being genuine about you know reaching out, um, talk, letting them know why you resonate, why you relate to what they're doing well, um, and that you want to help out. Because um, you know right now a lot of the time passion goes a long way. Um, and even if you don't have the experience or the skills or you're not aware of the skills or experiences, I, I prefer to say that, you're not aware of the skills or that you can contribute, um, you can show that you're willing to find that out um, and be of service where you can. Uh, it was a, an example when I was in my last year of high school, I went, did work experience at a law firm in, in Melbourne. They were a really small startup firm working out of a co-working space, about eight different um, employees. And being someone in, as, as a high school student, I didn't expect to get any work done. Like I thought I'd just be running errands, you know, doing the usual stuff at work experience. But because they were such a small company, it turned out they needed more help than they needed, mm-hmm. than they realized. And um, I actually ended up setting them up onto a project management system uh, which I had no experience with before, but I just sat down, learnt off YouTube videos and sort of adapted on the way. And at the end of that, um, later in the year, I got a paid internship and ultimately got a job with them. Uh, but it's just those things where, you know, I reached out because I really resonated with them as a, as a law firm. They were very different. Um, you know, they're not corporate in their nature, but quite purpose-driven. And I just reached out and and connected with what I connected to their brand about. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's the way that I would say is best to do it. So find p- people and organizations you resonate with and then reach out um, and yeah, really lean on those points that you um, that you like about them. Mm-hmm. Just picking up a little bit on that. So with that organization, did you know you had that leaning or did you, it was something that you saw with that, that organization that connected? triggered that for you because I think people struggle you know what what who am I in that scenario and why does that appeal so yeah totally um I think for me if I recall correctly I was actually following um one of their clients on Instagram and they posted a photo saying that you know they're having a partnership with this law firm and I Mm. thought that's that's pretty interesting because you know I'm looking for work experience I was interested in in the legal area, um, but I wasn't attracted to the big corporate, big firms um, where you've got those traditional hierarchies. So I just mm. did a bit of Googling. I, I looked at their website and it, yeah, it looked like, well, they, they resonate, they're different. Um, they're not about those structures and traditions. Um, it's a young team out there trying to do something different. Uh, mm. And I, yeah, and I reached out, had a conversation with their receptionist who put me directly onto their director um, because they were so small, you just had that um, transparency. Mm. And yeah, we we had a, a talk. He said, I'm not sure what you can do, but um, come along and we'll, we'll see what happens. And yeah, it turned out that it, there was a lot for me to actually do. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think it's it, it wasn't something that I was expecting to find. It was more, um, yeah, and, and that's even something I'd recommend. It, you know, if you're looking for opportunities, you already know brands that um, or companies that you resonate with look at them maybe look at who they're following on things like Instagram or LinkedIn or Facebook and um, maybe who they have partnerships with and things like that Um, or if they're mentioned in similar articles um, 
yeah, just do spend a couple of hour, hours a week um, just to give it a look. Yeah. Fantastic advice. Uh, let's have a look. So we got a question from uh, so Sandeep. I think Sandeep you would know. Sandeep Verma is, I think he's part of your catalyzer. If I remember, he's saying great business names, but even more exciting. Yes, is the passion behind these amazing young founders and what a real impact that they are already making. So we got a question from Shikha and the question is, hi Akil and Ali, hi Shikha, you know, great to see you back. Good to see you both today and I have a question. What's the feeling and emotion you get after you've successfully accomplished or succeeded in your service? So Ali, let's start with you. What, because I think, uh, you know, uh, my understanding is you have recently started to work with a, a council to help mm -hmm. them uh, you know co-design uh, you know the processes or or the framework so tell us about about the journey that you took on to to go and meet the council explain the pitch and everything else and what did you mm -hmm. learn out of <laughs> it was actually a very funny story and uh, I, I feel like it, a lot of what Akil's just said is going to resonate so it was quite an unusual journey so i had actually in that period, as I said, when I couldn't find a job, the one interview I did actually land was with this council, Hobson's Bay City Council. And um, I didn't get the job, but I seemed to have made a really good pressure because I think I spent a, a big chunk of my interview not shutting up about how passionate I was about youth participation. Um, and it seemed to be the right time, the right place, and it really resonated with them. And I kind of kept in contact with the head of youth services there. Um, and then, you know, we kept talking, kept being, um, updating each other. And about six months later, once we had actually launched Bridging um, Us by then, he called and he's like, oh, hey, we've just done this youth budget consultation. And um, we think that we really want to get you guys on board to you know, help us explore um, how we can help young people in terms of our employment, especially during COVID. Um, can you get us a pitch proposal by, you know, in four days or next week? And we're like, yeah, sure, we'll get that done. And um, Aki, and that's what we kind of Aki was actually working on us with that project. And um, I think that to go to Sheikha's question about and how, your question actually about how you feel, I think you, to be honest, there's two feelings, and they're often they're off the kind of diametric opposites. The first is like holy shit, what the hell am I doing? What, what do I know about what advice to give a council or let alone anyone? And you do have that self-doubt, but it can be a powerful force as well. And it does make you really push yourself to, to deliver the best you can. I think the, I don't know, I, I think that the, the really overwhelming positive feeling, perhaps the one I didn't expect, was really a great sense of humility. This sense of just feeling, uh, particularly with the projects that we have done for clients at, uh, before, is really just a sense of like, um, an appreciation just for what we've done in terms of you know making people feel better making you know instilling a sense of hope instilling you know a sense of kind of a change that we you know we believe that we've made but this great feeling of you know it's something greater than myself you know this is not a success for me this is a success for the community or society and so um, I think it's those are the two feelings that really resonate with me it's just this critical voice that kind of keeps telling me to push myself and do better which can get out of hand sometimes, but you can be conscious of it, you can, you can keep a good grip on it. And the other is a great sense of humility in the sense of really that what I'm doing is of a greater service, not to myself individually, but to others. Akil, for you? Yeah, look, I think there's a lot of uh, similarities and things that I resonate with what Ali said there. Um, I will also say 
just to take it a step back and actually firstly identify what you think success looks like to you because it's different for everyone, right? So if I'm running my first workshop ever, success to me might just be to get through it um, and feel like I've done a, um, a decent job. Uh, so, Whereas, you know, a little later down the line, success might look like, well, I actually want to see measured growth and measured impact on the young people that I work with. Um, so no matter what service um, or you provide or what you're doing, I think um, that definition of success is always going to be malleable based on the situation and circumstances. You know, right now we've got COVID going on. Um, and so the successes for a lot of people with businesses might just be to, to stay afloat, um, to keep things going. Um, and maybe make things more accessible, take advantage of opportunity, whatever that is. Um, but for me, yeah, you know, the, the feeling or emotion that you, I might get in addition to everything Ali said is just excitement. Cause it's, you know, once you do something successful, once you tick a, like a little milestone, you're excited and hungry to, to take that further. Um, and I think that's, yeah, it's a bit of instant gratification, um, but it also is, uh, to me, a step along that journey to the to the big vision, bigger picture. Yeah. Question from Daniel. Um, sometimes adults don't understand the unique needs of young people or may give bad advice. What do you believe uh, adults can do to better support young people in these challenging times? So, yeah, what, what would you say to that, Ali? <sighs> Get out of the way. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I think really, it's a, it's a really great question. And um, I reflect on this point that a lot of great people I've met in cross sectors is really that um, I think in many cases, adults or just people, older people are very conscious of this. And I think that often get a bad rap from that they're, they're out to kind of block opportunities for young people. And I know firsthand that that's not true. And I think that really what they can be doing best to help young people is really to understand that, you know, you're not trying to, you're trying to understand their lived experience to understand how you can better support them. So to, in order to give better advice, you really need to understand what their situation is and, what, and how they're experiencing it, rather than to give advice, which might maybe A, applied to you. And again, something you have to kind of put yourself out of your own shoes. So like, just because it applied to you doesn't mean it will apply to, someone else and really in the sense of you know what so the idea of how can you take your wisdom from your lived experience but give that so that it's useful for the young person in the particular circumstances that they are in i think that's the the best advice that i can give and this is actually something that i think i learned um and finally had the language for from um you know the entrepreneurship that pre-accelerate i was part of with catalyzer where i said you know you as an entrepreneur need to understand your customers needs the most and understand how you can solve their problem and i think that just as well applies to advice giving um you know from an adult to a young person is that you know, use your wisdom but really understand what is the problem they're facing why is it a problem why are they upset about that problem to really give them tailored wisdom and advice because we do have wisdom and advice to give younger young people it's about how we tailor in a way that is not patronizing in a way that isn't condescending in a way that's not invalidating what they're going for because unfortunately we can give advice that can be like oh you know it's not a problem you should just do xyz and it's like well it's not actually addressing the problem at its mm. core and so i think that's what I, my advice would be on that yeah um and i, I just want to add to that sorry carolyn which is um i think just not being afraid to be to be vulnerable 
um, when I say that, it's it's about you know re- understanding that obviously, you know, as adults, you're going through a lot right now, um, and young people are in, in their own unique ways as well. Um, and there's a lot on a lot of uncertainty for everyone, and I think just it can go a long way if you simply acknowledge that. Um, if you offer a, you know, a listening ear, um, and not really, yeah, I think it's not about projecting um, expectations or or trying to advise towards a desired outcome. Um, it's simply being there um, and being someone that's happy to be honest and vulnerable, especially if you ex- if you hope to expect that in return. Um, it's just like any relationship, whether it's with someone that's older than you, younger than you. Um, it's about you know just building a meaningful relationship and and balancing that. Uh, so yeah, that's just one thing I'd add on to what Ali said. So has what you wanted to do? A question for both of you: Has that changed with COVID, or are you still going down the same pathway that you were this time last year, for example? I can answer that for myself. Absolutely not. As I said, I was still in uni at this point last year and I had no clue that this was going to be the situation. But um, I guess that because we started our startup in the middle of COVID, so in in March, uh, it was quite a scary time. I still remember going to the the bank and asking to make a bank business account and the the bank employee saying, are you sure this is the interesting time to start a business? (laughs) I'm like, yes, it is. And um, I think it's, it's... uh, something that I've been telling people that's, that's been really helpful is really this, um, this idea I kind of learned a stoic philosophy which says like assume the worst and go from there and mm-hmm. not as a way of kind of putting yourself down but if you can go through the worst case scenario if it happens you're prepared for it and anything above that is a pleasant surprise mm-hmm. and so I think for us very quickly we had to as things kept changing we were like okay we have to just assume everything's going to be online we have to um, and also you know assume we're not going to get a whole lot of clients, you know, really be as pragmatic and as um, not cynical, but really just, you know, assuming the worst, not to put ourselves down, but really like, okay, even in those worst circumstances, how can we get clients? How can we get out to people? Um, how can we reach out there? And I remember the first thing we did, we actually co-hosted a policy forum with us, who just collected with Akil and another great um, startup, Future Minds Network. And we did it. We put it three weeks. We said, okay, we're going to do a... Um, online forum we're going to connect to people out there people that we know let's get a conversation going with young people and policymakers around what can we do for young people Uh, and it it was a success I I remember uh, right after it finished the three weeks and two full days of of workshops finishing and turning to Iman and saying like I can't believe it it went that well from the very beginning I'm like it's going to bomb it's going to be terrible we'll still go for it but i think it's going to go absolutely terrible and then end of it we had people from government ceos and of course saying it was amazing it went really well it's like oh wow and i think that in a way that's something that i've learned that it can be really powerful to assume the worst with the mindset and understand that you're doing it not to put yourself down but it's really that you're taking it very seriously and you're planning it seriously and you're kind of you're setting your expectations very clearly and i think that's um, what my experience was mm assume the worst and then it appears doesn't it <laughs> it's like COVID. Anyway, <laughs> you, very much so yeah what yeah you do all right so you- uh you know this, oh. this is uh, we are coming to uh you know wrapping this up but before we go we ask a customary question to both of you ready this is the toughest one okay so 
Akhil, we'll start with you. What makes you optimistic? And then Ali, with you, what makes you optimistic? Yeah, um, I think what makes me, what makes me optimistic is um, just seeing that there is momentum. There's people who want to make a difference. People who are showing more empathy um, in these times of struggle. Uh, people who are willing to compromise. Um, and I think just generally as a community that we can pull together um, and try to take action on something that um, you know is really uh, a global threat right now. Obviously, with this pandemic, and I and I liken it to you know something that was making me concerned um, was looking at what's happening to our climate uh, and seeing that you know as a global community, you know, will, will we ever be able to pull together um, and do something collectively? And I think if there's some sort of positive we're taking out of this right now is that we can come together um, as individual communities and as countries and as um, a collective world um, to take action. But it does, you know, it does require us to to all do something. Um, but what gives me optimism is that I've seen the capacity for us to want to do for and do more and want to do better. Um, yeah. And, and it's people like Ali as well, right, that um, we see, you know, who are so purpose-driven um, and wanting to do things. And um, if we can foster more of that going forward, I think that's very optimistic um, to look at. Ali. I hope we haven't annoyed viewers by just resonating off each other too much because I feel like everything I kill say I'm resonating with. <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't know if this is different or this is the same thing, but yeah, really optimism for me has always just come from the greatness that it, that other people are capable of, especially during COVID. And um, I think for me, especially tying that to like to serve others, I think for me, greatness is this idea of seeing people in the circumstances where they should not be selfless, being selfless, and, and or you know, being better than they can. There's something that I guess why we appreciate maybe um, you know amazing athletes. You know that, that we we can't understand how they can push the human body beyond a level of that it's capable of. And I think it's the same thing with human beings uh, in in terms of during COVID-19, seeing the, the ability of people to really come out, be selfless, help each other out. I think even the simplest example, people on LinkedIn, for example, saying, hey, I'm an expert in writing. Who's going to help out with this? Or I'm, a, I'm an expert in website design. Who can I help out? And um, something I've seen more broadly, something I've seen amongst uh, our peers, for example, in the accelerator program we were part of, people just not stopping helping each other. And I think for me, it's that. It's that capacity for that, you know, can curb our cynicism. And I think I'm a cynical person, but uh, I, I, I keep getting challenged at myself by seeing the ability of others to put others before themselves. And that for me always gives me optimism because with that mindset, you, I think that's when you believe societal change or systemic change would happen because that can only happen when people on a, as a group or as a collective are willing to sacrifice their individual interest um, to come together and change society. And so for me, that gives me endless optimism moving forward. Fantastic. You scored 10 out of 10, both of you. Yeah, and you. But look, it's good, you know, because no, we, you. I think it is equally important to language that as well, because, you know, sometimes a particular word resonates with you and sometimes it doesn't. So it, it's very important to language that because language, in my, you know, from my view, it creates a world 
uh, you know, for us. And then if we language that enough, then it creates a world for other people as well. But look, you know, it's an amazing, I think, you know, comments that, you know, thank you, uh, you know, Daniel says, and we got other comments as well. And, you know, look, you know, absolutely sensational, both of you, what you are doing. If any one of you wants to support or just check out what Akil and Ali does, please connect with them on, on LinkedIn and check out their, their website. You can just Google Futures Collective and Bridging Us. You can't miss them at all. So once again, Akil and Ali, thank you very much for spending time and helping us understand what young people or young startup founders are really up to. Pleasure. Thanks, guys. I mean, just in terms of optimism, I think listening to both of you makes me feel very, very optimistic about what's going to happen um, in the future. And I know things will be up and down and go around in circles, but, um, you know, that, that's the way life rolls and you both demonstrate a great deal of vision and resilience and, and hope and self-awareness. And it's been absolutely fantastic um, listening to your, um, your ideas and insights. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. Um, yes, Kavish, go ahead. I was just going to say... That, uh, yeah. Sorry, it's a bit of a delay. <laughs> I'll finish up. Um, so tomorrow we're talking employability skills. Uh, we're going to do a deep dive into some of what the research says around um, skills for the future. So we're not talking about a qualification. It's more around... Um, those workplace skills that will help you thrive in a very uncertain, volatile, dynamic um, environment. If you want to watch this show in replay, um, you'll be able to do that by following ha um, the hashtag career care package. If you want to see what's coming up, follow the hashtag career care package. And um, apart from that, we will see you tomorrow. And uh, yeah, really looking forward to a great show. Excellent. Yes, that's right. So we will have Jason Brown tomorrow talking about future proofing your career and we'll be taking deep dive into employability and as Caroline mentioned around the skills required for the future. So yeah, please make sure that you are there tomorrow 3pm Melbourne time and we have also started to brainstorm ideas for celebrating our uh, you know, the week leading up to our 100th episode. So if you've got ideas, if you want to be part of it, please drop us a line. We will send you, uh, you know, an email that you can fill out the time slot that works for you. But we are celebrating the Optimism Week uh, two weeks from now. And that week will be all, you know, we are going to talk about optimism and hope in the whole week. If you want to be part of it, just drop us a line. Alternative, we'll see you tomorrow, everyone. Bye. Bye, everyone. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Your Career Down Under show. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you want to know more about how Your Career Down Under can help you, please reach out to us on www.yourcareerdownunder.com.au. And if you have got a question about today's episode, or if you want us to do a particular show on a particular topic, please reach out to us. We would love to do that. Until next time, be well.